0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. The Other People podcast is offered freely. All episodes of this program are available free of charge, more than 500 episodes and counting. Your support makes a difference. If you like the program and you want to support it, you can go to patreon.com slash other PPL pod. That's patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Thank you.
1: You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common.
0: Every stupid thing that a writer can do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like yeah. your head exploded seeing what was really there. And, and right now right. here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person. Hello, Hello. Just hi everybody, this right. is the Other People <laughs> right. Podcast. Welcome to the Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles and I have good news for you. Maggie Nelson is back on the program after a five-year break. She needed a five-year break after the first time, <laughs> but she uh, was kind enough to come back over Sit down with me. Talk to me. And uh, she's got a new poetry collection, kind of a new old poetry collection. It's a reissue called Something Bright Then Holes. It was originally published in 2007 and is now out in a brand new edition from Soft Skull Press. For those of you uh, who are unaware, or any of you unaware, Maggie Nelson is the author of nine books of uh, poetry and prose. She won the National Book Critics Circle Award for the Argonauts. She uh, won a MacArthur Genius Fellowship a Guggenheim. She wrote The Art of Cruelty. She wrote Bluettes, The Red Parts, Jane, A Murder, the list goes on. So very pleased to get to to get a chance to talk to Maggie, pick her brain a little bit and share that conversation with you. Before we get there, she's going to read a poem from her collection. Again, the title is called Something Bright Than Holes. And uh, this is Maggie Nelson reading from that collection. I'll let her introduce it.
1: This poem is called, What Is It?, from a longer series of poems called The Canal Diaries. Um, What is it? A sad dusk here, the water swollen with debris, the blue wrapper of an almond joy, the hourglass of a maxi. Some of the garbage sinks inexplicably, but most of it just floats by, a bag of lathes, another maxi. Today the man in black wears glasses. I wonder how much one has to drink to achieve that nose. "'Yet I get the feeling he doesn't drink any more. "'He greets a filthy dog brought by a skinny hippie. "'The dog's teeth are bloodstained, his hair falling out in clumps. "'He doesn't really know what he wants,' the hippie says, "'as his dog sniffs the water. "'Join the club,' says the man in black. "'The hippie tells us his dog has terrible luck. "'A week ago it fell into a silo. "'Yesterday it got electrocuted while peeing on a pole. "'We don't really know how to respond.' The sky is amazing tonight, full of blurry swans. Why should I keep writing you, I ask? Because there's a purity in it, and so there is. When the hippie finally leaves, the man in black whispers to me, it walks like a parrot, is scrawny, fishes, and has dark legs. What is it? How the hell should I know? I'm living a lie.
0: Okay, that is Maggie Nelson reading from her wonderful poetry collection, Something Bright Then Holes, available now in a beautiful reissue from Soft Skull Press. Let's get to the conversation, right? This is Maggie Nelson.
1: You you can read other people's Twitter feeds if you do not do Twitter. Do you, you know. do that? Yeah, I read well po- po- politics. I read all stuff all the time. Okay, but, yeah. So well, that makes sense. But you don't have to. You can look at people's Instagram too. I mean, I don't. I just don't like. Have accounts are participating, yeah.
0: But how often do you read it like other people's Twitter?
1: Well, I read, you know, like daily. The deep State, I read every day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, how can you not? And I feel right. like too. I was, you know, I have this thought pretty much every day. But it's like, how could you possibly be living through this particular moment in American history? Yeah. And not have some consciousness of Twitter, yeah, because so much of the action is on Twitter, right. yeah, 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 and there's this yeah. like really weird and often stressful lag between like the news that you're getting on Twitter versus yeah. where the mainstream media is, exactly, yeah, and Twitter's like way out in front exactly, yeah, and so so you know that I do know that, okay, I
1: mean, I don't know it as well as some people probably know it in- in so far as it's not fed to me, but I feel like if I want to know like what's happening at the Manafort trial or something, I know who's in there or whatever, you I know who. It's like, I, I mean, I, can't, I know who to go to, but I right. have to go to. I have to choose to go look and see what they say. Okay, not. um I don't have like a feed. I guess it was what you call it.
0: And there's like, a, is there any chance <laughs> at all we could see Maggie Nelson on Twitter at some point? Would you ever break down now that you have this phone? Would you ever just be like, fuck it, I'm going in?
1: No, I don't know what you. I have. I have, I have zero.
0: You have so much to say, but you save nothing, it for your books. I have
1: nothing I can imagine saying. Like nothing. It's never. I can't even imagine anything. I just no. can't even imagine a single <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I, I bet not. you.
0: I bet you would be good at it. I'm no, not trying to. I'm not trying to no, talk you into it. I'm just so. saying. I think you. I could. mean, I
1: think it's interesting actually, because I mean, I've written about this a little bit, but I do think that. Um, uh, if you're somebody who writes autobiographically, or who has, some people think, you know, a lot of questions I get in interviews, are like, how do you feel about exposing all of your personal life? Which I don't feel like I do. So, but I feel like, it, you know, I've always been a, you know, I've always been really interested in autobiography. And you know, I wrote when I was a teenager. My undergraduate thesis was on confession and literature. I mean, I've always been really interested in it. But I think it's very fascinating to to know how kind of um, old school, and in some ways, I feel about. You know this sounds really cheesy, and I know that Twitter is an art, blah, blah blah. But about like making kind of aesthetic objects or products versus kind of the slow dribble. You know, and the slow dribble doesn't, and it's not very interested in it. You know? I think
0: that's wiser. Yeah. It's a deeper dive to work on a book, and I think that when you're feeding people Twitter, I mean some of, some people are really good at quipping,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah and that yeah. can be
0: enjoyable. Yeah. But it's still kind of fast food. Like the fast food, slow food thing. Yeah, I
1: mean, I'm just kind of a, I mean, most of my critical writing, and maybe even otherwise too, but I think I'm kind of plagued by the whole, you know, seeing this side and seeing that side and seeing this side. And and I'm very, the thing I hate most about writing is it's kind of, not the whole, I don't hate it the most, but like. You know, Roland Barthes said, like, writing, you know, language asserts. You know, so like everything you say asserts, and so I always feel like I try and get into my writing a kind of like a kind of merry-go-round of assertion and like trying to, you know, kind of keep undercutting. You know, like Wittgenstein's whole like tearing the um, rungs off the ladder as you're climbing it. And but that takes time because you have to have you have to think around the thought to be able to perform that kind of um, you know. Uh, merry-go-round and in twitter are those kind of things like you know i just think of it as very like you know linear slices where you don't um you know which is why obviously it leads to so much proclamation and virtue signaling because it can't it can't contain that i mean it can over time if you look at someone's feed but it doesn't um
0: and who wants to do that like sit there and go through no
1: it, but it's not it's not its purpose it's not as like its communicative purpose is not to do that kind of work so it doesn't really seem very interesting to me you
0: know? yeah i you know I always say, once this presidency is over with, I'm going to get off.
1: But. I totally agree with you, and I don't know, and we'll have to check back in. Yeah. God knows. Maybe, hopefully we'll check back in this afternoon, but maybe, <laughs> we'll, maybe we'll check back in, and God knows when. I know.
0: Well, I want to start uh, talking to you about uh, this idea of care. Uh-huh. Like I like this as a theme. Uh-huh. I like this as an idea yeah, yeah, in yeah. life, and yeah. it's something that I don't think I've had... Uh, an explicit conversation mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. and it appears in your poetry collection, um, which, by the way, and I know you probably get asked this a lot, it's a reissue.
1: That's correct. Yeah. And
0: so you're having this work that you did a decade ago be rolled back out into the world, and I'm sure you've had to revisit the book and revisit the person that you were a decade or you know a decade <laughs> or more ago when it was yeah. written. Like, what's that yeah. like? Is it? Are you comfortable with it?
1: Oh yeah, it's fun. I mean. It's mostly fun for me because of the genre because uh it's the last poetry book I did so it feels like kind of a whole other uh it, it feels like a, I don't know a freer self or something like the poetry itself that I haven't been for and I'm and I cogitate so much <laughs> for everything you know oh, yeah. but um no I mean it's been lovely and I and I think that you know I don't um I don't I don't feel strong disavowals of earlier selves, really, or anything like that. So
0: not neurotic.
1: No, I mean no. I How mean, because c- even as I say that about Twitter, and I'm kind of making fun of that whole dribbling thing. I mean, I definitely came up in a poetry world that was that you know what people call like the Frank O'Hara, I do this, I do that, school of New York talking talk poetry, really, and um, and which was. I mean, I, I, it's funny that you talk about caring because it, it, I mean, I wrote about this a lot in a book I wrote about the New York School. There was a lot of dialectic or whatever between like not caring and caring, you know, caring kind of greatly about some things and really not caring about others vis-a-vis literature, um, but, uh, but also other things. So I think that the, the kind of not caring about your past selves um, is, uh, you know, kind of a, a certain kind of non-preciousness about who you've been is seems wise to me I, yeah. or what you've written, you know?
0: Yeah. Just let it go. It's a snapshot, yeah. but yeah. I think there's also in the book and along these same lines, like this idea of caring for others, yeah. caring for the world, like compassion, you yeah. know, like these kinds of, uh, ideas and it, it moved me just because it, it had this like simplifying or crystallizing mm-hmm, effect mm-hmm. where you can get or I can at least get lost in the weeds when it comes mm-hmm. to morality and what should yeah, I be yeah, doing yeah. with my life yeah. and am I doing this right? Should I do this? Should I do that? Yeah. But then it's like you know, what about just caring about the people right. in your immediate sphere. Yeah. Trying to be good yeah. to them, trying to yeah. take good care of them. Yeah. Um we were talking before I came on, like I have a son with health challenges. Yeah. So there's a lot of care in that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And like
0: that that, that's a noble thing to absolutely. be doing with time so absolutely i don't yeah. know i just i, I appreciated yeah. Yeah. like the hospital section in particular mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. you're with your friend who had the accident yeah maybe you could summarize like yeah, that yeah, section yeah. of the book for listeners sure. who haven't yeah, read
1: yeah. yeah you know this poetry book something bright than holes has three sections and the first is called the canal diaries and the last is called something bright than holes but the middle is called the hot i don't know what it's called I think it's just called The Hospital for Special Care or, or Halo the, Over or, the Hospital. That was a long poem in there called The Halo Over the Hospital. Yeah. And um yeah I mean my friend Christina Crosby who you should also have on should she be able to come out here uh in her wheelchair and whatnot. But um but I've you know, she's been a longtime muse of mine. She appears in many, many of my books and she just wrote a book called A Body Undone, A Living On After Great Pain about her accident, which is a really terrific book and um really an amazing book and anyway so uh, she appears in bluets and she appears and this is the first book i think where i wrote these poems about her right after her accident um and then i write about her in the argonauts but i don't
0: write she had a bicycle accident accident.
1: that's correct yeah
0: so she was riding her bike one minute healthy yeah and then flipped the bike paralyzed
1: exactly yeah um and um i think the week of her 50th birthday um Yeah, so the poems in there, uh, I was living nearby and um, started doing regular shifts at the hospital, and she was in, obviously, intensive care and then at at a place called the Hospital for Special Care for some time. And, I mean, I think what's interesting about care and those poems and other things I've written, too, is that... I mean, I like what you're saying about this kind of simplicity of, like, providing care to the people in your lives. um, But I think, you know, I've also been... I think all the books also hopefully attend to the the difficulties of care not just the difficulties of performing it but also um the way some people are more obligated in this society to provide care than others the way that we determine I mean I've been writing recently about freedom and how we often uh that's kind of a tradition of determining freedom as not having to care about other people's feelings or bodies or whatever and so i think and 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 freedom is you know not i'm not saying that kind of freedom is the best kind of freedom but i don't think it can be entirely dismissed of like what you know the, so i think that i'm the poems in there as much as i felt like i was doing something that felt like i needed to do both for her and for me by being there for her and by helping in her, the care of her first year or two when she got home from the hospital. Um, you know, when someone... I mean, she writes about this in her book, but when someone's... And I don't know what your son's situation is exactly, but when someone's rendered into what she calls, you know, total care, which is what she needed for quite some time when you really can't do anything for yourself. Um, you know, the the... the, the 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 need often great out more outstrips what can be provided by any you know, by any single person or few people even and i think that that can obviously creates um uh, a, a lot of turmoil you know for for everybody involved and and, and is essentially also a condition of the planet and that people need and the planet itself more care than we're providing it or that you know in some sense feels possible so i think it's a very challenging um it's a, it's both kind of kind of like enforced or like connect only connect it's like yes care only care but but what that means and what it means also for different people for whom um their obligation to work in caring professions or to you know to do different do different things is so much more um is so much more mandated i guess the
0: stress levels for people who work in caregiving whether it's like mental health yeah. professionals or people who work in an er or yeah. in a children's hospital yeah yeah. I cannot imagine like what kind of like rewiring or what kind of hardwiring you yeah. have to have in yeah. order to go in day yeah. in and day out, yeah. Yeah. and bear witness to all that. Yeah. Suffering. I mean, not to
1: mention that as we know, I mean, the caring professions are notoriously underpaid and undervalued. So you also have people who are, I mean, and Christina writes about this in her book. She has a whole chapter called "Caring at the Cash Nexus," about how many people who've cared for her have been people of color who work, you know, double shifts and a third job, maybe even besides and stuff? And how just how needing total care also uh, brings you into a world of if you weren't there already of seeing the you know the profound injustice of of how we of how we reward or don't reward the activity of caring. You it's know, like so, teaching too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, although you know, teaching is. Yeah, to what extent teaching is caring is complicated. I mean, that's the other thing. Is that, I mean, I've noticed a lot of Buddhist books sprinkled around your house, and I mean, after, <laughs> I'm I'm also very interested in like. I mean, I wrote about this in the Art of Cruelty because the care thing I think kind of started coming out in that book. Where by I got very interested in this kind of notion of like. Um, you know, different virtues, having kind of near and far enemies. And then, like, you know, there's compassion, but there's also idiot compassion. And, like, how do we tell the difference? And there's certainly kinds of forms of, you know, ways that we can talk ourselves into caring that are probably protectionism or, you know, being patronizing or, you know, all kinds of things. And so it's very – it's also very difficult to know what's the care. It sucks that's, you when know. you fail at caring. <laughs> exactly.
0: I'm You're just really trying to care. I'm no, sorry. absolutely. <laughs> I mean,
1: well, how often do we think that, you know? Yeah. I mean, how often do we say to our children, like, you know – I don't let him watch TV and he yells at me, I'm the worst mother ever. And I say, I'm, I'm actually caring for you. And he's like, no, you're not. I actually just, I actually explained idiot compassion. (laughs) And I said, giving you all the candy (laughs) and television you want, wouldn't be caring. And he was like, oh, I got to tell you, it really would be, you know? So it's very, I mean, that's kind of also, you know, that's like the parent's burden too, right? Is that like, you're trying to provide what you think is the right kind of care, knowing that every kind of care also has this kind of shadow again of kind of, not failure you know not doing well, it right
0: and like i i think about this sometimes especially like not to belabor the conversation with too much politics but uh it's so frustrating to think about people who are on on the trump train yeah for me yeah um but i think if like to go to, like buddhism or something yeah, yeah. and like the books that i'm always reading yeah, yeah. trying to get my head straight like uh, I think they're they're telling me that I I should love those people. <laughs> <laughs> this I should is, a, this I should... is an
1: ongoing question of the Trump era, you know.
0: Like, how do you but how do you care for people who you feel are espousing really hurtful ideology and belief, and who are acting in mm-hmm. ways that are reprehensible? And it's like, how do you have space in your heart for mm-hmm. somebody like that? How do you care for those people? Like.
1: Well, again, I mean, I don't think they need our idiot compassion, you know, which would be to offer forms of care that we're enabling or, you know, accepting of their behavior, you know, so I think it's difficult to, you know, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it could be a form of care to not have somebody eat in your restaurant, you know what I mean? Like, they're it, it's staying focused on, like, just the most superficial level of, like, would I offer them my hand or, you know. Or even, like, do they have a place in my heart? It's like, what does that even really mean? (laughs) I mean, I think that—but I do think that, you know, I mean, I think—let's just say that good people differ on the opinion of, like— I mean, I've read very, you know, well-meaning, good intention, perhaps spiritually wise op-eds about how, like, we shouldn't teach our children that Donald Trump is a bad person. You know, I don't don't see why not, honestly. I mean,
0: if if he's not, If he's not, I don't know who is. And
1: so—and I also feel like when one doesn't have to ultra-demonize, but one has to also— um you know, I, I feel like, again, like my, the kind of, I don't want to pr- perform an idiot compassion and, you know, to my, to my kids and, you know, I want them to know what behavior we consider to be, you know, ethical and what kind we don't, you know.
0: Right. So. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's I mean, I've, I try not to talk about it too much. Yeah. I just feel like less is more. If she yeah. asks about it, I answer. Right. They, my daughter knows where I stand. I mean, right. I, she's heard me grumbling, but like. Yeah. I'm not sitting down being like, have you read the deep state Twitter today?
1: I I mean, but, you know, it's very like, I mean, it's very, I mean, in some ways, even though they don't know very much, kids' questions have a way of really laying bare. I mean, you know, my son was asking me the other day, you know, why I was sure we weren't going to be separated, you know, the way that he'd heard Trump was separating families. And, you know, as I kept giving him different reassurances, which all felt to me terrible because they rely on this, you know, mirage of citizenship you know, and he was saying, well, how do you know he won't come and take our passports? And I was like, you know, I was like, you know, at a certain point, I was like, you got me, man. I was like, I don't know what's (laughs) coming. You you know, like, I really don't. But like, you know, his, you know, I feel like I have to address the fact that, you know, they feel they're, you know, that they're, they're wise. They know to be nervous, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. They talk to (laughs) each other. They do. You know, there's like playground chat.
1: Yeah.
0: No. But we taught you mentioned Buddhism and I, I, it, brought to mind uh, something I had meant to ask you about, and that is that I was reading one of these uh, books by Mark Epstein, I think. Oh, yeah. And you blurbed it. That's true. And I was like, wow, Maggie Nelson's blurbing a Buddhism book. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what's the connection? Uh,
1: you know, Mark, I think, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I had I'd known about going to pieces without falling apart when I had been, uh, you know, as per the title, and as if you've read The Argonauts, to any people listening, I mean, it's like kind of a, a main theme of that <laughs> book. And actually, it's one of the main themes of a book of mine called The Red Parts as well, which has a kind of meditation on brokenness and pieces and what it means to have things fall apart while hanging together or something. So, I, I mean, I'd known about that, but then he actually, I think, contacted me fairly out of the blue because he'd read The Argonauts and I think had um, – You know, not knowing that he was one of the original sources probably had, um, you know, was interested in what I'd had to say about Winnicott. And um, so we started corresponding from there and then I was happy to provide that for him. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it just caught me by surprise. But are you like a a Buddhist interest at all? Mm.
1: I mean, I'm interested, but I'm not. I'm 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 a, you know. Atheist? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not a—I I, I haven't like taken vows or anything, I don't, right. you know. You know, so I'm—you know—some. I'm I was going to say layperson, but I think layperson is even too exalted for my. But you know, I mean, I think it's—I um, think that kind of like you said when you said you were trying to get your head on straight. I feel like, um, you know, many conundrums, intellectual or otherwise, that I have difficult time with, um, are often very solved to me, uh, by consulting the Buddhist books on my shelves and not some of the others. So I consider it both, you know, spiritual for lack of a better word, but also really intellectual, um, logical assistance, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm the same uh, way. I yeah. mean, I, I, was like, I never know what to call myself. I guess if I had to call myself something, I'd call myself Buddhist, but yeah. I've, I've never, I mean, I've been to one retreat.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: I, I don't go to a temple. Yeah i don't have a guru yeah. i wish i had a guru right it'd be so nice like a real yeah. good like a real yeah. true master yeah just teach me how to do this i know it's funny <laughs> yeah,
1: i just i won't talk about it too much because i haven't but i was i was actually spending the yesterday writing about the the uh me too movement comes to shambhala buddhism phenomenon so all that's been really fascinating to me as Wait, well you,
0: what, tell me what am I, do i know about this
1: i don't know just google the new york times um uh the Sakyong, who's the current Shambhala Buddhism, you know, person, person, yeah, you know, patriarch, having a, yeah, uh, he just resigned. Oh, um, and there's kind of a whole.
0: Yeah, um, thing, I was just. You know? If we're gonna be sharing, yeah. <laughs> I was just writing about like the first, like yoga teacher that I ever went to, uh-huh. random. Like I was like yeah. doing yoga a lot when I was in my early twenties and uh you sort of get hooked yeah it's like pot without paranoia yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh he wound up years later like moving out of state setting Mm -hmm. up a studio Mm -hmm. uh in another state Mm -hmm. and then i googled him like out of the blue yeah i wonder what he's up to yeah yeah Arrested for sexually assaulting students during class. Wow! Convicted and jailed.
1: Really? Wow! That must have been quite a class.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like during class, that's
1: not a normal adjustment. No. But I mean, it was just like,
0: like the the truth is that I wasn't like totally surprised. Yeah. But it's always a little bit. That's
1: funny. I was just reading the other day about how some yoga classes were providing like little cards that you could put on your mat that said no adjustments, please, whatever, if you didn't want to be touched. I like, I like an adjustment, but no one ever
0: wants to touch me because I'm all sweaty and disgusted.
1: No, I mean, it's all, I mean, the reason why, you know, I don't, you know, again, I don't want to go into it too much because I haven't quite sorted out, you know, I don't don't know enough about all of it. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's all quite fascinating insofar as uh, if you have especially a, I mean, I'm not denying that there aren't, obviously, power dynamics with Buddhist teachers. But if you have a ideology that's so much based on kind of thinking and finding out things for yourself, the question of kind of, um, you know, how much one needs to be warned or protected against, you know, teachers that might hit on you or something, is I mean, I think it's interesting, you know. I think it's interesting. And I don't think, as a feminist, it's clear at all where one should stand on such matters, you know.
0: Yeah. No, and then there's, like, the whole, like, Bikram thing, which is, like, ultra-creepy. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. This stuff, any, anywhere yeah. that there's a hierarchy... Especially when yeah. people are, you know, are dealing in feelings and emotions yeah. and people's toughest yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, there's going to be opportunities for predators. Yeah. And I mean,
1: you know, I was, you know, I went to high school in the Haight-Ashbury and, you know, I feel like my formative years were spent, you know, yeah, you know, I, I learned very young that, that. You know, the hippies were not <laughs> my <laughs> friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the guy hippies lining the streets saying, you know, why you smile, sunshine, that they, they were not <laughs> yeah. they were not the key to my uh,
0: I had a friend. my liberation. I had a friend yeah. I went to high school with who like went full hippie. And right. I was I was Midwest, yeah. So like the hippie thing didn't even get to right. where where we lived until yeah, like I yeah. was in high school. Yeah. There's like a very slow yeah. migration of culture, you know, yeah. in the country and so I remember though he was like he seemed authentic to me. He yeah. was like, wow, his hair's long, and right. yeah, yeah. He has the clothes, and yeah. he, he like. And I remember we were out like getting like a sandwich or something. and yeah. The waitress came over and he was like, "Thanks, sister." <laughs> I was like, "What are you, you all doing?" I was yeah, like, "What are you doing?" I know. But you know, yeah, I never no, went that far. Yeah. To my it's, everlasting it's credit, a,
1: it's a, I was much happier to arrive in New York and get away from you know. Everyone in New York, when I not maybe after a while, as I got more uptight. But when I first got there, everyone was like, "You're really loose," and I was like, "This is great! Like, I really, I really arrived." You
0: know? <laughs> and then over time, you just like start. To yeah, I
1: probably yeah. But now, now I'm, I don't know what I am. LA is a weird place because everyone's really uptight and really loose at the same time. So
0: yeah, what is <laughs> LA? It can be
1: both. I don't know.
0: I don't. I can't been there almost twenty years. Going, I can't really? make sense yeah. of it. I yeah. don't. You know, I still feel confused by it. I feel like it's an unknowable place, which I kind of like. Yeah. I don't want to ever... I I think I would get bored if I was like, oh, I got this place dialed. Yeah. Like Los Angeles just feels like... uh, What's the word? Um, Oceanic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like vast, like sea of everything. Yeah. You just get lost in it.
1: Yeah. No, it's really... Not a place I imagine living for as long as I live here. And now here we are. are. (laughs) I know, here we are. I know, and I last saw you five years ago, and here we still are. I know. I know.
0: Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, And, like, this desire to have, like, somebody who really knows mm-hmm. teach me the way. Like, you have benefited uh, in your, it seems like, based on your writing, from having, like, a lot of really great mentors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that true?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You write Maybe. about them. I'm, I I'm, do. And, I do. And, and uh, it's like Annie yeah. Dillard. Yeah. And then uh forgive me, your your friend yeah. who had the accident. Oh
1: Christina Crosby. Christina right. Crosby. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I'm sure there have been others. Yeah. But can you Wayne ta-
1: I, I adore oh, right. teacher of mine. Eve Sedgwick, teacher of mine. Um Eileen well, Miles. I read that right. a lot. We talked about Eileen, yeah. I think, last okay. time you were yeah, here. Yeah. It's like yeah. starting
0: and like we did definitely talked yeah. about San Francisco, but um I'm just curious because I think some people listening out there might be like, God, I'd really love to have a mentor. Mm-hmm. How do you get a mentor? <laughs> like because no, no one's ever called to me and been like, Brad, yeah, you know I'll what? Be your I yeah. want to mentor you. Yeah. But people want to mentor you.
1: Well, you know, I don't know. I mean Eileen Miles, she always says she hates the word mentor and you know, I, I don't it's not like a word I I don't know that I would like self choose it per se. I think that I think I've just always been um like I think some people like to bury a little bit who they're who like they've been big fan like big fans of or who they've you know who are really important to them and I've just kind of always been the reverse where I just always wanted to pay a lot of homage you know so I think that I just kind of made a decision early in my writing life that I would try and do that but it's also
0: in, in writing and in person
1: in writing in yeah. writing I mean I think it's also mixed with um, uh. Well, it's mixed with a few things. I think that I think intergenerationally, especially with feminist or queer things, or really, you know. But it doesn't have to be that. But people, uh, you know, it saddens me how quickly people lose sight of what people did before you. And, and and I and I, you know, I was like that as a young feminist. I'm sure too. I'm sure gave, but I think I also was always really, you know, amazed and and never had any urge to like. Uh, you know, the whole kind of Oedipal thing of, you know, of slaying your fathers or whatever. It was. I was just more like, oh my God, look at these mothers who like did so much amazing stuff. For so I was always really wanted to, um, you know, that was always amazing. And then I also think that, um, what was I going to say? It was something about, oh, I don't know, it'll come back to me. But I think, uh, oh, I know what it was, was I also made a decision in my early. 20s or mid-20s or something that I would try as a writer to, if I was writing about artists or other people or different things, that for the most part, I've had some big swerves for certain moments, but for the most part, I would try and write about people whose work really excited me or that I I admired and that I wouldn't get kind of bogged down in, which is why I don't write very many reviews of things. Like I'll write a review if I have the time and I read something that, that I think is amazing, but I just don't really, I don't know, it's just like not my sport to... I mean, to tear – because I, I think I know I could do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know I could tear things apart pretty easily, and I've, and I've done it in my enclosed quarters, you know. But it's not the part of my brain that I'm really most proud of or that I think is what is most um, – it's kind of like back to the Twitter thing. It's, it's something I feel kind of um, – it just feels too easy to me.
0: Well, and so, I, I have I, mixed yeah. feelings about criticism, too, like as something that I would do. Yeah, Like, I don't mm-hmm. know – I don't know if i would enjoy that or if it would be like you say a good use of my time i do like reading certain criticism
1: yeah
0: and it usually almost it usually involves the critic working autobiographically somehow uh-huh.
1: right yeah. like
0: if there's not an element of that yeah i i kind of recoil a little mm-hmm. bit i'm like mm-hmm. okay put some of your own skin in the game right, if you're right, gonna right. do yeah. this yeah. and yeah. i like when they somehow like weave yeah. like a personal narrative into it and some people are just really right. smart readers and yeah. can you know they can yeah. They can illuminate a work, even if they don't necessarily enjoy it. Yeah, They can still like, you know, sometimes a a, a quote unquote bad review by a good critic can Mm -hmm. make me want to go read the book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's maybe
0: what a a bad review should do. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Or or maybe never read it ever. But yeah. Um, So there's a, you mentioned Wayne Kestenbaum and um, when I was getting ready to talk to you I read about uh, an exchange that you guys had back in the day, where I think you were his student. That's true. And he said something to the effect of, "Don't get bogged down by the heavyweights." All oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think, like, and, and like, I think, like, the the interview that you were doing, or the mm-hmm. way that you were writing about it, you said it had this really freeing effect mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I think at that point in your life, you're a student. Yeah. And you're reading all these books by the heavyweights. Right, yeah, yeah. And but also wanting to carve out some space for yourself and wanting to do your own work. Yeah. And I just want to hear you talk a little bit about that idea because I think this is a common experience for writers who have some ambition or who wanna try to punch above their weight or whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my god, like can you say it any better than this? Is there a reason for me to be here? Right,
1: right, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he was kind of talking like that. And I think he was also kind of trying to, I mean, the way I took it in part, because I'm a huge fan of his books, too, was that like, you, you know, you may not be someone with, you know, three PhDs and, you know, the classics and philosophy or whatever, and that you're kind of like, you know, you're not going to be attending these, I'm not personally, you know, doing like continental philosophy debates at the European graduate school or whatever, but it's like the, what, what, the kind of writing he does offers something that a lot of that writing is not doing at all, you know, and that he can write about whether it's humiliation or Jackie O or Harpo Marx and, and, and really contribute something kind of stealing from these other spheres of, you know, heavyweight thought, but that actually making a new thing, which um, I don't really think of it in terms of like, Oh, you know, like reach more people, like more accessible. Cause I don't even think of his work necessarily as accessible, but it's just making kind of art, using thoughts, you know, Um, and, and that seemed like something I could do, you know, and wanted to do. So I think that not getting bogged down with the heavyweights, I think also just meant like, you know, everything that's written and that exists, exists for you to use and steal and lean on and borrow and think through and it doesn't, you don't have to, you know, there's not like a passport that you need to have stamped to get into their kingdom, which I think is really important, especially for uh, you, you know, I mean, you don't, you, know, you can go read, you know, Nietzsche, you can go read, anybody can, you know, I mean, there's some some philosophers or some theory are more difficult than others, but nobody is, you know, I think people can... Uh, Talk up the the lack of access that may t- to a point where they might be actually projecting a kind of edifice around it that isn't necessarily there. I mean, a lot of people are just mad men, mad women, mad in betweeners, whatever. Writing with a few
0: good ideas. Yeah, I mean, like, and, <laughs> and,
1: and 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 it's all out there. So I think that that was. Um, I think he was also probably talking about which I, was one of the reasons why he was such a great m- mentor, as it were, to me and, and still is. Which is that, like, I, you know, was in graduate school and was going to get a PhD and. But I already could kind of tell or feel that academia wasn't going to be, like, an easy home for me, as it's not for many writers in a way. Um, But I think, you know, knowing that he could find a home doing precisely what he does and wants to do um, and not being bogged down with not just the heavyweights like Heidegger, but the heavyweights just like, you know... the the academic world of people who have totally lost sight of thinking that like their fiefdom is, is, is everything. And, and I don't need to, you don't need to get, you know, turned around by all that as well. You know?
0: So when you talk about, you know, like Wayne's work and how, you know, he's found a home for it in the world, doing this kind of specific thing. That's very, it's very much him, you Mm -hmm. know, he's like, like singular. Yeah. Um, And I feel the same way about your work. Like you, like a Maggie Nelson book is sort of its own beast mm-hmm. and that's cool. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you feel yourself working in a certain tradition? Do you feel yourself trying to be singular? Mm-hmm. Like, and like, it's so personal yeah. and like yeah. the intellectual um, and editorial processes mm-hmm. that you go through, you know, there's like a rendering and at the end of it, it's like this, this, yeah. uh, combination of poetry and prose and essay and criticism and autobiography and, you know, all these different uh, elements that go into your work. And it's kind of this like this great stew. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But is there like a, is there some line you can trace?
1: I mean, I, I, I I think so, which is why I don't really, people say like genre busting or something. You're like, that's fine. But like, there's much, much work that wasn't like, I, I think that there's a kind of, um, I think the narrative that writers write into these pre-existing genres or they, you know, or they don't, you know, crazy is a, I don't know, I think I, I, my personal suspicion is it might be, I don't know, this is a hypothesis that it might have developed with MFA culture or something. I don't know quite where it came from. It doesn't seem to resemble the history of literature such that I see it per se. I mean, yes, you can, it seems like it's a kind of mapping of like, I mean, yes, you can study the history of the novel and there is something called the novel and all the rest of it. But I think that... Um, you know I've always really you know Emerson, Sir Thomas Brown David Von I mean Hervé Goubert in France I mean like there's so many people who write strange pieces of writing that are in between um, Fantasia and nonfiction, or you know I mean it's. so I think there's a lot of um, to me it's not really uh, I mean that said I think you're right that the books that i've written have been really uh, uh i don't know what to say they 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 don't the content just dictates whatever ends up being the book it doesn't i don't like decide beforehand on some genre or form or something i just really kind of fight it out you know and then it is what it is so
0: and you have to have you know, like an intuitive sense of when it's working
1: yeah <laughs> i mean i, I think of it as very I mean, I think of it as literary, but I also think of it. I mean, I live with an artist and I watch him struggle with Mm. aluminum or, you know, I I think like it's like the words don't seem as material because they seem evanescent because they're showing up on your Mac. But, you know, essentially you're, you know, I mean, George Oppen, a poet I deeply adore, you know, was notorious, I guess, for like hammering pieces of his poems on top of each other with nails and stuff. And like, I mean, I really do feel like it's constructing something and that once you construct a little bit of it, Um, Even if it's just like a paragraph, like, and if it feels alive to me, then I kind of have to be like, what is this beast? Like, what what, what, what do I like about this paragraph and why, like, what form does it indicate the next, you know, so I think it, it does in that way, I feel like, build itself out. And, you know, and I've been, I think because I've worked that way, I've also never... You know, I never came at publishing the way that a lot of people do, which is like through book proposals or whatever. It's always been like, hey, I made this weird thing. Like anybody interested And mostly my life, contrary to the past, you know, Couple of years, maybe of what it might seem, but mostly people have been like, no. <laughs> you know, like mostly it's well, like, no, we don't, we're not interested. And I go, okay, and then I just keep looking, keep looking until someone will do it.
0: But I was going to say, like, yeah. you know, there's, I think, a certain confidence in that approach, like a belief in your yeah. work and in yourself and in the project that you're yeah. Uh, doing. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I also was going to say, you know, you mentioned some of these writers and the, the tradition that you're working in. You know, some of the people who have been working in a similar vein, making weird books or whatever you want to call them. Not all of whom or many of whom didn't find a huge readership. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your work is finding a readership. I think the Argonauts, um, blew things up pretty good. And, um, I guess it brings to mind like the question of accessibility because mm-hmm. I, you know, I never feel like when I'm reading you, like you're writing down, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah. like reading a Maggie Nelson book is right. challenging in a great way, mm-hmm. but you do have to let people in, uh-huh. you know, you can, like you talk about like getting bogged down by right. the heavyweights or whatever. Sometimes the heavyweights can sort right. of be sadists. Sure. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. you don't know what I know and right. I'm going to make it really difficult for you right. to find yeah, out. Yeah. And you know, y- you find a way to strike a balance between challenging your reader, but also bringing them in and, Uh, Like, how do you are you
1: people on Goodreads or Amazon would (laughs) disagree with you, Um, (laughs) which is perfectly fine by me. There's nothing funnier to me than reviews or someone saying, like, she thinks she's so smart because it's like it's just so I mean, you know, I mean, even the people you're talking about who you're, you know, not meanly, but just lightly accusing of like larding their work up with kind of booby traps to make it hard. I mean, I I doubt that they are consciously they're just doing what they feel like they need to do in the idiom that they need to do it in and it's just things come out different ways for different people you know it depends I don't, who
0: your reader is too
1: yeah like i mean i don't write anything thinking about a reader so if it if if i if i leave ways in for other people then that's great but it's not i don't care if i don't you know you don't I mean? think about a reader no
0: like you're not you're not writing for harry or writing to like your editor or your agent or like thinking about like nothing like that no. it's just for like your own eye yeah. <laughs> it's all about me, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's not
1: even for me. It's just like, it's it's a me- metabolic um, procedure with thoughts. Like, you, it's like you have stuff in your head and it needs to come out, so you make it come out and you don't feel good if you don't. If I'm not participating in that process. But it doesn't really... I mean, the Argonauts, you know, was a total accident that... I like your phrase. What did you say? It broke open things real good or something? Yeah. Like, I mean, that was a real accident and I don't... I mean, it just as easily might not have happened, you know? I don't I don't see that that was, like, an inevitability or that it... Even with that book, I don't think it was you an mean, You mean that the book
0: was written or that the book received the reception? did the re- it receive
1: the reception that it did. I mean, okay. I don't think it, um, it... It just seemed to me like a, a very happy accident, you know? But I didn't... I mean, I actually don't think the book... I think it was maybe even, you know... I mean, it was timely, but I don't think it was particularly more accessible than other books I've written. So I, I yeah. have a theory on this. Okay. <laughs> wait, I'm going to tell you. Okay, happened. great. You tell, me, you tell me what happened. All
0: right. But no, I feel like bluettes uh was one like generated an enormous amount of goodwill mm. it might have been in a specific channel but i know because uh-huh. I'm, I'm i've got my finger on the pulse uh-huh. of literature
1: <laughs> <laughs> i believe you i've had
0: more people yeah. come through here and we talk about bluets, or people mention that book oh, that's and so sweet it, i think that book yeah. brought people in mm-hmm. and then i think it's sort of, you know it's like seeding the field and okay. then yeah, yeah. when the argonauts came out people were ready for it right. because you you had already right Won the There over. was a
1: book in between. I just will mention. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I yeah, just, yeah.
0: I, I, and maybe yeah. you see it differently. Yeah. But like, I feel like Bluett struck some sort right. of chord, right? And uh, I think too, you know, and the Argonauts does this too. You do such like great compression, but it it feels like I'm forever in search of this. Is mm-hmm. trying to get like mm-hmm. that that really um, compact. Book that feels mm, heavy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and both of those books do that. That's good. So anyway, yeah.
1: No, Bluets was very, you know, Bluets was the reception of that book was also has been. I mean, that book the reception was very gratifying in in a totally different way, which is that like it it didn't, you know, it, it had the normal death the small, you know, it just came in <laughs> the, the, the quiet, the quiet, the quiet. Me, the quiet I mean, it just yeah. came and was like, but I always felt like, and this is a really, you know, conceited thing to say, but I always felt like, I mean, I think of all my books, actually. I felt like when I finished that book, I felt like I had resolved it more perfectly than I'd resolved any other thing I'd written. So I felt really proud of it. I felt like, it was like, it didn't matter to me what happened. I was like, I, it was like a puzzle <laughs> and I'd also been carrying it with me for many years. I really had always wanted to write a, a book about the color blue and it was much smaller much more as you say like much more I mean if it, I say this in the book I'd wanted it to be like this you know 300 page I mean I imagine like my book on the color blue is like you know a doorstop and it, it was so <laughs> horrifying that it came out to 99 pages I couldn't even get to 100 but I would but I felt like it but I did feel like it did what I wanted it to do so and, so but and then when it was when when it was like great and then quiet as usual I was like whatever you know on to the next thing but then it was so happy-making to see it over the years, people kind of like it kind of spreading around. Yeah. And that was, you know, really cheery.
0: Well, sometimes like these things, they take a while, you know, but they find like people pass, it's like a book that people pass yeah. or recommend, you know, and yeah. one by one. It yeah. I Like the
1: way that book, I've had a lot of people tell me that it was either given to them like. In the beginning of a new relationship or as the relationship (laughs) dissolved, like a divorce (laughs) book or whatever. I like like the idea of a love book that can serve on both ends. Versatile. (laughs) Yeah, versatile. That's that's the key. Exactly, yeah. Maybe not accessible, but versatile. So
0: So I'm not going to ask you questions about your writing process just because... I want I don't know. I uh, maybe we covered that the first time around and I feel like you've probably been asked that a million times and Sorry,
1: I don't really have one so I was okay. going to say <laughs> But
0: I do want to ask you about your reading.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, Because
0: yeah. you're a writer who to a degree that maybe uh, is like more than most. I, I can feel the reading that you do yeah. in, in your work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people ask me what I what like what book's influenced a book I just wrote when I'm like, everything. it's all, it's all in there. It's all in there. It's all in there. Everything. It's just like a I gave, it, I gave it all at the office. I gave you like 400 titles and I'm like, well, I don't have any more. You know, like that was But it.
0: like, let's talk about yeah. like the reading process that goes in. Like, I know that like book that you read, might've read when you were 21 right, 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 might yeah. wind up going into this book about freedom yeah. that you're working yeah, yeah. on, but you must have like, you know, um, a concrete list of books and things that you're reading to inform a project.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. Like where
0: you're like, I have, I want to learn about freedom. So I want to read X, Y, and Z. Like how much do you do? Yeah. How do you fit the reading into your day? Yeah. How long do you read before you start to write? Are you doing both simultaneously?
1: Those are all good questions. Uh, I think it's exactly as you describe. where I think that there are things that you read throughout your life that stick very strongly with you and that you're kind of shocked that you're like, wow, I'm really going to go back to, you know, that John Cage essay I read in high school. OK, like yeah. what did that say? And then you go back and look it up. But I think I think often like the deepest seeds of books for me are that way, like there's something that you read and uh, it struck the kind of ambition chord, not ambition in a bad way, but like I want to do that or, you know, be that or, and, and then I think you're right. Then there's a lot of things that I read, um, in service of a project. And, uh, you know, I mean, and, 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 and I am pretty, if I'm reading kind of, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed of how I read for writing projects because I feel like I, I become very, um, you know, utilitarian, and like I can tell pretty quickly if I think something's gonna be like useful to me or not. And if not, I, I, thank God I finally moved to a house on a street that has one of those lending libraries, which is just great for me because now like I order books or whatever. And if it comes in the mail, I'm like, you know, I ordered Camille Paglio's like free men, free women free love or whatever it's called there a day. I like read three pages and I was like, I was like, I I, hearing about her for years. Maybe I've missed the boat realize I didn't to the book box. It goes, you know,
0: I, you know, I don't think that's bad. I think that that there isn't any point, or at least this is how I soothe myself for not necessarily loving the masterpieces that, you know, a college syllabus tells me I should love or like, I can't get into certain authors who everybody celebrates and, some things are just not for you. Yeah. And especially yeah, yeah. if you're working yeah. on a project, like yeah. time's a wasting. Yeah. Like you gotta, yeah. you want to get the book done. Yeah.
1: I mean, I do look out for, again, with the kind of writing criticism, which I've been doing, you know, as of late, I, uh, I look out for like, it's dangerous if I get a book that I really hate, because then it makes like really low hanging fruit, and I could very easily say like, oh, a whole chapter where I demolish this particular book that, I mean, it's just like, just let it let it be. Like, let if it's a bad thought, like let that book sail off into the ether. It doesn't right. need me to like get all into it, you know. And my partner's always telling me like, I don't think that book is worth your time, or I don't think that person's worth your time, and, and I kind of have to like gnash through it, you know. Which is hard right now, I think, because the political. Sphere is really full of, you know, most things are not worth our time, and yet here we are, like, dragged down into them with these talents. And so I think it's really, you know, it it becomes even more and more challenging. It becomes like a – it's not just a taste project about what, you know, what good aesthetic choices do I want to make. It also can be like a, you know, a political saga whereby you think, um, you know, the more I focus on disempowerment or the more I focus on, you know, uh, all the things I think – that are toxic going on right now, like uh, the less I'm perhaps putting out something (laughs) that is actually something that stands other than that, which has always been really crucial to me as a writer is like, I mean, everyone says this, but I hope I really mean it, but like, I want the books to do not just to describe, you know, like I want them to, to be something as well, which is what I, even when I write criticism, I want that too. like, so if people say, Oh, I read this, and I felt a sense of permission or a sense of freedom or, you know, that that's really meaningful to me because it means that it didn't just kind of give you a good argument. It like it gave you an affective feeling that something was possible where you thought it was foreclosed, you know?
0: Well, I think like like one of the aspects of your work is I was like kind of chewing on it, getting ready for our talk. And it was like, how did you know, how is she doing this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think there's a high level of. Uh, intellectual rigor, but it's also very personal. Mm-hmm. And I know you said mm-hmm. earlier, like you don't share all of yourself, but you, right, right. you pick what you what you share. And like, you're one of those writers where I'm like, oh, she's going there, <laughs> you know. But it makes right, you yeah, it yeah. makes you lean in. And yeah. like, obviously, there's like uh, yeah. sexual writing, but there's also like you know, frank discussion of like suicidal ideation, right? Sure, which yeah, things yeah. that like typically, whether it's uh, sex, suicide, mm-hmm. relationship stuff. Um, self-doubt, self-harm, yeah. whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I think there can be shame in writers, mm-hmm. in people. Yeah. But when you're sitting there to write, I know yeah. this firsthand, you sometimes like retract a little bit. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah. you have the willingness to go there. Yeah. And I think that brings people in. Mm-hmm, I think that mm-hmm. makes people emote mm-hmm, as a reader. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think that stuff sort of leavens the intellectual. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Is that is
0: that fair? Am I, is that yeah,
1: so, yeah. I mean, I think... I think that it's not – I think it's totally fair. I don't – it's not a formula, you know? Like, it's not like – what's that song my kid listens to? A little bit of sugar makes the medicine go down or whatever. Like, it's not a – it's – um, I mean, I hopefully, uh, and from my end, it's more natural than that, you know? Um, and not everything I write, you know, some books – I mean, the books that tend to seize more people have been the more ones with more autobiography in them. Um, and if I could keep doing that, I would. But like for the moment, for example, like I feel like, you know, after the Argonauts, I'm kind of like, OK, like that shop is a little <laughs> closed for a little while. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but also just as like a um, uh, it's a it's also a, like you want to keep trying new things as a writer. So if everyone says like, oh, Shirley really delivers all this feminist and queer theory, but from a personal standpoint, you kind of feel like, well, what else, what 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 else can I do? You know, what else can I do? So, it, so you know, it roves. But I think what you're describing, um, you know, I mean, I have a lot of shame as does everybody. I don't think anyone is ever like a shameless human being. And if they were, you know, they would not be probably a quote unquote good human being. But I do think that, you know, when you asked about like a tradition of writing, you know, most of my heroes that I've read are completely, I mean, suicidal ideation or sexually explicit writing would just be like, you know, you know, utterly par for the course or something. Right. So I think I, you know, also my diet of what I've read and the people that I've known, you know, uh, may, may I have a different kind of norm. And then when I hit, like, for lack of a better word, more mainstream places, people would be like, wow, this is really something or other, and I kind of have to recalibrate and be like, oh, yes, you know.
0: But the effect For I... you,
1: the word placenta is going to be disruptive. For, like, where I come from, my friends are, like, you know, making placenta chips and, like, sitting around <laughs> talking about their suicidal ideations. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's not like a... It's like a... It's a negotiation of worlds, you yeah. know.
0: There's nothing... <laughs> Don't quote me. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm suicidally ideating... Right. Yeah.
1: yeah, you love placenta. I
0: love to be eating placenta chips. <laughs> just to sort of balance it out. <laughs> but, I mean, no, and I, yeah. I feel like, I, you know, the other thing I was thinking, I was like, As a reader, it makes me... When people are are writing from a really honest place, um, talking about the stuff of life, that includes a lot of the stuff that we don't talk about very much, it makes me take the writing more seriously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. the effect. And and for some reason that like... I found that like to be an epiphany. I was like, Oh wow. Yeah,
1: uh-huh.
0: Like when you go take, there, you
1: take the writing as writing more seriously or just take like the person behind it or the Both. whole enterprise, the yeah. whole
0: enterprise. I was yeah. like, Oh, okay. So someone's right. getting real with me. Like yeah. that's the effect that it has right. on yeah, me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's also inspiring because it's like, okay, like, yeah, you know, I'm sure that's why you love the books that you are yeah. talking about. You yeah, know, you yeah. you know, it's like, I, I love when I can feel like somebody's no bullshit. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. because there's
0: so much of that in the world. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like. Um, you know, it obviously presents challenges, especially if you're working autobiographically, Mm -hmm. um, relationally.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm going
0: to read a quote to you that made me laugh. Uh, your partner, Harry said being with Maggie is like an epileptic being married to a strobe light artist.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, you know, how do you, like when you write a book, uh, like the Argonauts, for example, obviously you probably shared that pre-publication with the people who are most implicated and say, what do you think? Like, how do you go through those processes?
1: Just like that, (laughs) you know? What do you think?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that uh, different books have their own, uh, you know, I mean, you have these different tiers. You have, like, people who I don't talk to, but you don't want to get sued by, people that you live with intimately, and you don't want them to even be, like, a little bit mad at you, (laughs) because that will influence, like, your daily life, you know? So there's kind of, like, a very big uh, spectrum, but I generally... um, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, uh, um, Harry, my partner just wrote an amazing book that is going to be published. What's and it so called? He, it's called My Meteorite.
0: Okay.
1: My Meteorite, comma. Are you in it? I am. Okay. Yes. So it's like exactly. the Revenge of Harry. Yes. <laughs> Although, you know, but I'm, he let me read it. and I took out the parts I didn't like and, you know, yeah. and, you know, and I've, you know, I've, I, I've been on lightly on both sides of this, you know, before, and I know when things, you know, I've I've had cause to know how bad it does feel to be written about, and I and I think that, you know, and I feel like I don't have any regrets. I mean, occasionally I. I forget my books. Like I don't really spend. You said you don't listen to your podcast. I I don't. I don't don't read. I don't read my books. You know, and they come out, and I'm like, that's whenever I. I don't like take it down and (laughs) you know flip through it for fun. So occasionally I'll take out a book and I'll be like, oh, like wow, really? I said that, you know. So I mean, you know, and I, I don't, but I don't have any regrets per se. But you know, I think, I mean, I'm lucky, and I don't have. Too many wasted relationships vis-a-vis my writing, and and some of them, like with Christina Crosby and with Harry. Now, um, I uh, I think I think the thing that pisses people off the most is often the feeling that like you took control of a story that was also theirs, you know, and that they didn't get to like have their say. And I think it's really satisfying you when know, people are like, "I'm gonna write my own fucking,
0: fucking book." Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Now and it's I'm my like, turn. Great,
1: do it, you know. And I think that. Um, but I think that. Uh, you know, my mom I've written about a lot and she's kind of found a certain piece with it and stuff. So, anyway, you know, it hasn't, I haven't had too many. I mean, I've had a few. I'm not going to lie.
0: You have courage, though. I have a few relations. few page. relations
1: that have, uh, you know, shredded. But that's, but you know, they weren't relations that were, you know.
0: Sometimes you get, uh, what's what's the old phrase? You got to, I mean, you can't, like Norman Mailer. I know he's, you know, people have conflict, uh, yeah. deep feelings about normal, but he has a great line where he's like a writer who's afraid to offend people. is like a surgeon who's afraid to cut.
1: Right. Yeah, like so if you're yeah. going to, if you're going to do yeah. the work, right.
0: you have to be sort of fearless about it. It's yeah. easier said than done, but yeah. I think that's true.
1: I mean, I think it's like, again, kind of degrees, like there's fearless and there's reckless. I've, I've been both. Um, but I don't think and, and you know and saying things like oh but i'm not mean or oh but i'm not whatever like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day like you know you could describe someone's hair in a way that hurts their feelings even when you're just naming its color you know like it doesn't really you don't have to assassinate somebody in print for them to feel awkward and i think you know i think it's essentially I mean, I'm reading Carl Ove Knowskard's book six of my struggle right now, and the whole book so far, the first 100 or 200 pages, is very focused on the publication of book one and his uncle's lawsuits and threats and how sick it makes him feel inside and, like, is he really going to go through with this and stuff? And I think
0: i was telling you before i think we came on how handsome i find him yes his, his hair i want to look like you're
1: him. you're not you're not alone
0: yeah he's just um, got he's like he's like like when you say like scandinavian writer <laughs> i'm like that's the guy he yeah. smokes but he still yeah. looks good it's good you yeah. know
1: um yeah but i think it's like you know there's not again it's not like there are all these degrees you know like and and i think at the end of the day um You know, I mean, I don't know if you're working on this in your Brad Dad book, but, you know, I think, you know, the most challenging thing for me this past year was probably people asking me over and over and over and over again in interviews about writing about your children, which, you know, is has like a huge other charge to it and other things, other, other, other things have. And I, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it just because it's like a... um, You know, it's a very gendered situation, like Norman Mailer's quote that you just said, you know, no, no one likes to imagine mothers as surgeons cutting anything or, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a um, and so I think it's uh, but, you know, my 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 dear friend, Yula Biss, who's very wise and smart and has written a lot of great books um, that your listeners probably know. But, you know, Yula, we did a panel. And again, like on immunity, I don't know if you've read it, but it's like, you know, she's talking about like buying her son, like a hypoallergenic mattress. She's not like giving a, you know, knockdown drag out account of his entire life or personality. You know, people are still asking her how she feels. She, She could have written about, you know, the son's mattress. And she just said, you know. You know, my son has two nonfiction writers for parents, and that will be his burden to bear, and, you know, I hope to give him some things, and other, and this is one of the things, and you know, and I, and I feel like at a certain point, as with everything, you have to make your... You have to reckon with who you are, and...
0: I you mean, know. yeah, like, otherwise you're never going to say anything. No. I mean, and how can you yeah. write about the stuff of your life, if that's the mode that you're working in? Yeah. And if you're a parent, how can you not write yeah. about your kids?
1: No, and also, it's very... Um, I mean, like you were saying about reading people, writing things that are real, like we reading other people's experiences deeply, how we feel embedded with each other in our shared struggles or, or alienated or alien struggles, you know? So I, I, it would be really preposterous to not offer that, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a question, um, about getting through a project. This is maybe like somewhat selfish because I'm like, work' grinding through this book mm-hmm, and trying to find mm-hmm. the form and yeah, yeah. trying to figure out like how to be, like I have an impulse to be funny, yeah. which might come from like this kind of insecure need to be liked, uh-huh. <laughs> but I also, I like to laugh when I'm right, reading sure. or yeah, at least yeah. like, yeah. you know, a little like smile or something, but I like a little humor, but yet right. I'm dealing with dark stuff right, yeah, and heavy yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and like yeah. trying to figure out how to like yeah. walk that tightrope, yeah. but also put the thing into a form that
1: yeah. works. Yeah. And
0: so I'm going to read, uh, something else that you said, uh, I'm going to quote, uh, I'm going to read another quote and this is about Jane, a murder which is about your aunt's murder, which Mm -hmm, I believe mm -hmm. we talked about in our first conversation. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think so, but um, your aunt, and then just so listeners who don't have context, can you maybe describe that book quickly? Yeah,
1: she, my aunt Jane was my mother's younger sister, and she was murdered in 1969 um, when she was a first-year law student at University of Michigan, and she took a ride from a ride board to go home for a spring break, and whoever... um, responded to that ad and gave her the ride um, shot and strangled her and left her in a rural cemetery and um, it was thought to be one of seven murders in the area Um, but just in so I wrote a book about um, its unsolved nature and then after that book came to be published um, there was a DNA match with her case that was of a suspect different from the person who was in prison for um, one of the other serial murders and that person was uh, convicted uh, in 2005, I believe wow. of, of her murder So it was a very long story About which I wrote two books But the first one, Jane They're very different One's like a, the latter one The Red Parts is a kind of Courtroom prose um, experiment And the earlier one Was a much, much longer process Of, you know, eight years Of writing and collecting in it. And it was I guess you call A narrative in poems Or something like that Yeah,
0: I mean, it's a, it's a unique yeah. book Yeah in that. It's like a poem <laughs> yeah. narrative But it works, yeah. you know And so yeah here's something you said about it. You said that book took me eight, uh, yeah. took eight years for me to make peace with the fact that I was writing it. That book is a book that taught me about the bad idea. Every day I would kind of come home from a movie or the library. And I was like, I shouldn't do it. I don't like it. It's scaring me. <laughs> you have no idea how much right, I relate yeah, to this. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess like, it's like, yeah. I, I want to hear you talk about getting past that feeling. Cause I think yeah. a lot of writers go through that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, it's like this, I I always call it like it's like a wrestling match or something, trying to like come to grips with it, trying to see it clearly, trying to get okay with saying it. Yeah, yeah. Like, how how did you get there? How do you get there?
1: It's funny. I think I might have changed my mind about this over the years. I think that I maybe used to feel like um, uh, my bad ideas were really bad ideas because they were so kind of transgressive to my family or something violent or something kind of traumatic. Now I've come to believe after writing many different books that, Almost anything you focus on can feel like a bad idea because you can just see like all of its flaws. And you know, like I'm writing a book right now about freedom, and it's like, how dumb is the, you know freedom? Always like it's like, and everybody you talk to, I I'm mean, already
0: excited about it. Oh,
1: great! Well, but yeah. like if you talk to you know, I mean, Wittgenstein, who I adore, you know, had this great quote I'm going to get it wrong but he said something like you know my philosophy is very useful for people who share my problems if you don't have my same problems this book might not be very, very interesting to you but like you know when you, one describes one's obsessions or some thing you're perseverating on you know most people are not going to share your exact problem and they're going to be like they'll offer some glib thing like oh why don't you just drop it or oh it doesn't sound like it's so complicated to me whatever because right. they're not you right? right so like part of me realizes now that you just have to um You have to recognize that the feeling that just by the act of your focusing on it, like everything is going to seem not good enough. You're going to see the book that you might write that's the bad version. I mean, that to me, that's like a very strong thing is like there's often, and often they exist in the world. They'll be like, but they're very instructive. They're the shadow bad book. They're like, they're your bad dad book that like you, you're you so mad at. You see at the airport, you're like, I can't believe that, you know. Yeah. I can't think of a bad example of like an airport bad dad book, but like, Brad Dad. Your <laughs> book's not bad dad, it's Freudian. But like, so anyways, like, I mean, you have this feeling like, I don't want it to be this, you know. And I think that that can be very, um, you know, so like you're kind of like bowling where you're trying to kind of like keep it, you know, like you're you know, for it, the strike. You don't want like the alleys are kind of like the books that you see on the side that can be, you know, what you really hope it doesn't turn out to be. I mean, if you're really worried about that, it probably really will not be one of those books. I mean, people rarely write the book that they're most frightened of writing. But I do think that you're right that like. You no, know, I mean, I joke in the argonauts that like it's hard to know if a bad idea is a bad idea because it's a bad idea, or if it's a bad idea because it 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 feels so um you know, it just feels dangerous in some way. It feels. But that like, can be a good know. sign. Yes, but that's the thing is it can be a good sign. It doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that the book will be good, but I don't think. But I think what it indicates is that there's a feeling of risk, and I don't personally feel like that much writing. You know, people use words, and you know mfa culture like risk or stakes or whatever and like but you know but they're but but those are real concepts you know and if and if you don't feel as though there were stakes to the writing i don't think that the reader is gonna feel them either you know
0: yeah i agree i mean and i think like i don't know if you don't seem to have like the same like neurotic need to try to like throw jokes in that I do. I mean, sometimes it's yeah. appropriate. Other yeah. times it's like the subject matter serious. Like right. just be yeah, serious. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Well, yet- I'm not very funny. So I don't have any like a. Uh, it's not. <laughs> Many it people would be, say
0: that yeah. I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, it's not a like any humor I ever have come by in my life is like a you know if anyone tells me something's funny or like if anybody laughs at a reading I'm always really <laughs> gratifying yeah. because yeah. I mean I laugh a lot but like you know i mean i think that there's like a certain grim humor in some of my books but they're not really they're not really funny
0: <laughs> but there's i think there's a strength in that you know i mean i guess like th- th- there's also
1: you can edit your bad jokes out later you can put yeah. them in and cuz it might be that they're really doing a lot of crutch work for you in getting out the other stuff you need to say yeah. so i wouldn't really i mean that's another thing i try and teach myself which is hard any writer knows this is hard but like you know it, there may be something that i'm doing while i'm writing that i a certain sentence sentence construction or a certain word that I keep leaning on and as i'm doing it i'm like this is terrible this is terrible this is a terrible sentence structure this is a terrible word but like if you know but if you get stuck there then you like then i'll start thinking okay well you know, sentences can be rearranged, you know, whole, you know, I can, I can go, we can go back, we can go back to this, but you know, it's that thing about trying to keep momentum, keep them going forward. Yeah.
0: So. yeah. And it doesn't sound like, I mean, I think I was reading something about your drafting process. I told you I wasn't going to ask you about your writing process, but I think listeners are always interested yeah, yeah. to know how people do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't do like the big vomit draft. You're one of those people who no, like I writes don't. and kind of edits as you go.
1: I do. yeah, Because I even though I'm saying that I can live with a bad sentence picture, I feel much better when I arrive back at the desk the next day. And I usually print out what I did the day before and like take it all away. Okay. You know? that's what and I then I start again with a document that doesn't have quite as many bad sentences staring at me. <laughs>
0: but you look at a hard copy. I do. Because yeah. I think one of the, the problems that I run into, because I'm the same way, yeah. I edit as I go, but yeah. I'm editing in... Word. Yeah. And so what happens is I noodle with yeah. things to death and it yeah, becomes yeah. overwrought. Yeah. So it's better to print. Right?
1: It's all I know how to do. And I mean, I think I have a long time practice of, um, I mean, God forbid, you're probably. About as old as I am, but, you know, we didn't have ye old laptops when I was uh yeah, I had, like, a little up.
0: brother, a, like, word processor. Yeah, and then, <laughs> yeah, I had a big desktop,
1: whatever. But I, I also lived in New York, so, like, I mean, also for my body, which is another big thing about writing, which is, you know, drives me crazy, which is, like, it hurts to sit in the chair all day. And I stand up. I've, I've started you standing yeah. yeah, I mean, my body's, like, a mess, so it's, like... Uh, hard copy to me always meant like change of venue you could go to the park i could lie down on my stomach and do it like i can't sit i I can't stay at that computer it just makes me crazy
0: i think there's something to be said for that yeah yeah. like i was talking to a writer and i'm forgetting who it was but they were saying that in the editing process same same as you it's like a hard copy it's a change of venue yeah but it's like a specific change of venue to like try Mm -hmm. to read yeah in a place and in a posture that an ordinary reader would read it. Exactly.
1: In. And also you probably pretend like it's not mine. So I just feel like I just I just get it and I'm like, oh I, mean, I literally like have a little game where I pull it out of the costume? bag and I go, yeah. <laughs> I just go, oh what, what's this? You know? But my pen is very I mean, if I ever lose something, say like I edit a hard copy and then like, God forbid like my computer crashes and I lost what I did. I mean what I've noticed over the years, which is a little alarming, but like, you know, my edits will be exactly the same like if i go, do it over again like really? it, it, yeah like it just is meant to sound a certain way and so it's like it just and i'm always shocked that i have i yeah like i would re-edit it the same way again that's, so it's it, gonna be comforting it is because i feel like it makes me feel like it's a platonic thing that it's going for and
0: also it, <laughs> and like that like you have like, a true eye yes, you know what exactly. i'm saying like
1: no, and I, and I, edit, I mean I, I write all over my student papers i'm sure that they just want to kill me but like i just have always edited a lot by hand and i just it's like my way of
0: and then you go back like, and re-enter it in the computer, exactly, yeah. like the same day
1: mm-hmm. or the or, next day. Yeah, whenever, yeah.
0: Okay. And then what yeah. about Genesis? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. you talk about this, um, like, like I mean, I, I don't know, I know a little bit about um, your writing past. And I know that like Bluettes, for example, was something that had sort of been incubating for years and years and yeah. years, going back to childhood. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, The Argonauts, Freedom, all these other books, yeah, like yeah. The Freedom Project, for example. Like, how do you know when you've got a book like okay now this is what i'm going to be working on like is there a a through line that you can trace is there a similarity from project to project
1: no i think it's just like no they're all they're all different but i think that uh i mean i think maybe like a lot of writers i always live in fear that when i actually express my thoughts that'll it be very small you know like i said before like the blue the blue book was very smaller but but I've I have I've you know I've been doing this for a while so like I have a better sense now like if I'm taking notes for example or if I'm like st- stacking up books with you know post its in them of passages that that I care about um you know I can tell at a certain number of notes or a certain level of things that if I were to say everything I had to say about what I'd amassed I'd be like well this probably looks like about 50,000 words I probably have on my mind around now you know what I mean and so I think it's like um I think that I, you know, I, 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 and then, but then other books like the Argonauts wasn't really a book, like it was not really a book for a long time. It was kind of, I, I didn't really, I, I wasn't like setting out to write that book. It wasn't an explicit design. That seems
0: like a winning formula
1: what to the it's just not I me mean,
0: like in kind of accidentally yeah, I mean, I think writing it's a like, book that wins the national book yeah. <laughs> no i mean i think
1: uh, it, well it hasn't won before i mean it wasn't a winning formula for a long time but i think that it's um i mean i think look i mean you know this too like our minds are much more predictable and organic than we presume them to be so like we have the same preoccupations we we, we get attracted to different webs of things and like um and and like for example in the freedom book there's a chapter about drugs and you know i've been thinking about drugs forever and I'm reading i love teaching a class i've taught often on l- drug literature and
0: i'm fascinated by drugs too yeah, and i'm really I interested the, in... i just read the michael pollan oh, you did? hallucinogen book and was, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. very fascinated by psychedelics in particular yeah interesting all of it is is of interest to me
1: yeah and i'm really i've always you know Like, a lot of my favorite books are drug-related, Taipei. I mean, so, not that that's one of my favorite books, but I've (laughs) taught it in my drug literature class and stuff. But I guess the point is is that, like, um, you know, I I began to realize that part of my interest in drugs was because drugs represent this certain... um, uh, Like, it became interesting to me about why people always think of these books, whether it's on the road or whatever, you know, these drug books as, like... Uh, icons of freedom, when in fact, you know, the experience of drugs is often really one of enslavement. I mean, addiction is no, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, so this kind of, you know, William Burroughs was always trying to tell people, you know, you know, it's just need, it's not like, but, you know, but it doesn't matter, everyone's buying junkie and stealing it off the shelves, you know, so I was so I realized that that was kind of a a, um, paradox about freedom, is that like, you know, we feel transgression and liberation about this, these substances that also have a very strong element of I mean, like all the good heroin books, for example, will usually talk about heroin as a relieving of the burden of how to structure a life. Like, you know what you're doing. You're getting hot. You're getting dope. Like, that's what it structures your whole day. And then, you know, and then it's very, you know, you're counting hours. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, so it provides a lot of grid, whereas we think of it as like, woohoo, you know, right. but it's not really, you know? So, so I, so all I'm trying to say is that, like, I might recognize that that whole area of interest of mine is a subset of a greater interest of mine in this freedom thing. So it's like, um, I've just noticed that a lot in my time that like, or my, my, your brain is more, um, like my interest to me might seem very far and wide, like, geez, like, like the Argonauts was like, oh, I have all this writing about, you know, homonormativity, you know, and then I have all this writing about like the first year of taking care of an infant too bad; those are different projects, and then you eventually realize that they're
0: they go together. That they,
1: they're part of the same project, you know.
0: You know, it's you're, the thing that you were just saying about drugs and freedom strikes a chord with me because I think that like the flip side of that is that while drugs often have this like strong element of enslavement, mm-hmm. uh, discipline mm-hmm. often contains within it like a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I've yeah. been trying yeah. to get up super super early yeah. for you know. No, you're not
1: doing that like sleep thing. where like you go to bed twice.
0: No, no, okay. <laughs> no, but I don't sleep as yeah. much. Like this is yeah. the thing. Like I don't drink wine in the evening. Mm-hmm. Like I used to I used to have like yeah. a couple glasses of wine, yeah. and uh, then for a while I got like I felt guilty and Buddhist uh-huh. about it, uh-huh. and I was like I'm defiling. You know, yeah, yeah. it wasn't that bad, but I was just like, why do I why do I do this? Why do I watch like right. the news and drink yeah, yeah. wine every night yeah. by myself? Like yeah. I'm not even with anybody. Right. Like yeah, my wife's yeah. putting our daughter down, and I'm like yeah. you know. So I got wor- I got you know wobbly about it, but then like I stopped doing it; it was no problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not an addictive, uh, thank goodness. But uh, I then was like, well, I want to try to get up super early mm-hmm. so I can have time to myself um, without feeling like I'm ditching out on the right. kids. You know, yeah, how, you yeah. know, have that feeling as a parent where you're like, I need some me time, yeah. but like your kid needs you and yeah. your wife or your spouse or whatever yeah, you know. Yeah. And so I found that it's actually yeah. like way less stressful for yeah. me my life feels less stressful yeah, yeah, yeah. when i have yeah, that, discipline. that discipline i feel sure. freer
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: so that's kind of yeah. a weird like epiphany that yeah. i had maybe i should have had it a long time ago but yeah. i'm like oh wow like yeah i might like have to live a little yeah. bit more austere yeah. um yeah. austerely but yeah. it's actually freeing yeah. me up
1: no i think that's exactly right and i think it's what most wise people eventually <laughs> recognize and you well, know it took me 43 I so. years yeah sorry <laughs> right. you know i mean i think it's i think it's um uh, I mean, that was the, I mean, all, all those surrealist games are the same lesson, you know, as like in terms of having to also like, you know, trick yourself into, you know, whether it's psychoanalysis or hypnosis or surrealist games, it's like, you know, the unconscious is not, not, I mean, not that we're all going for the unconscious or that you're going for that early in the morning, but, you know, we don't. We don't just slip into these states. I mean, I mean, it's it's very it's heartening to me to remember that. Um, I mean, this is again back to how we started with like the Twitter thing. Like, why why, why would why would we imagine that like the first level of our consciousness or like your first, you know like your your wine news thing? Like, why, why would we imagine that that was going to produce? the most interesting thoughts or something like, you know, you've got to, you have to, you got to try harder. <laughs> yeah.
0: This isn't working yeah. for me. This yeah. uh, MSNBC and, you know, Pinot Noir. Yeah. Ritual. It sounds pretty
1: good right now. I do like <laughs> the MSNBC without Pinot Noir. I don't know so. how, to, yeah,
0: exactly. How do you possibly <laughs> like, watch that stuff without like something? But yeah. um, I, you know, I say that into, in the interest of transparency, like I have lately, just very recently, yeah. just to kind of like, like I, I I'm trying to shake myself out of being too self-conscious creatively yeah. and I want to free myself. Yeah. Speaking of free. Yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah.
0: Um yeah. I have been like microdosing cannabis yeah, yeah. and combining it with strong coffee.
1: Interesting. How's it going?
0: Like I find it yeah. helpful.
1: What's a what, what's a microdose of cannabis? Like
0: less than 2 milligrams of an okay. edible. Yeah. But like it's a little wonky cuz like those right. things are not precise. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I live in fear cuz like the thing about me is like I don't want to get high,
1: right, yeah, but yet yeah, I don't want to yeah. eat cannabis. I'm like, right, I'm, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a nightmare yeah. for these yeah. people
0: at the dispensary. It, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm,
0: I, I'm like, I just, I want like a little, little tiny yeah. something and then some caffeine. And I, you know, I got that from um, right. Jonathan Ames. Interesting. I was talking to him on the show and he's yeah. like, sometimes, you know, I just like get over the,
1: yeah.
0: the worries or the self-consciousness or whatever it is. Yeah. He's like, I just get ca- really caffeinated and a little baked. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, well, maybe I should. And then microdosing with psychedelics has become yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. thing that, I'm fascinated by but have not done yet. Yeah. There's like the Isle that Waldman book and yeah, Michael yeah, Pollan talks yeah. about it. And... Where do
1: they get their psychedelics? That's
0: the thing. Like I'm too lazy to go right. source this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm also like I don't want to get like in right, trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh if somebody like were to come over, like if you were right. like, Oh, I've got like yeah, yeah. I would take one right now just to you like would. try it. Yeah. I yeah. don't wanna hallucinate. Right. But like, I feel I feel like the evidence is compelling enough to right. give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. maybe it could knock away some of these like you know cobwebs and worries in my brain or something.
1: That uh, sounds great. I look forward to the report. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess yeah. that this
0: is a, a way yeah, to bring yeah. it back to you. Is like you don't do anything like that. Like you write you clear can't say as a bell. Talk
1: about my drug use on your podcast. <laughs> There's a whole other. Well, you know, I'm curious because yeah. you, you're interested
0: yeah. in drugs, but like yeah, most people, I mean, myself included, like 99 yeah. of the time in my writing life, I've been totally sober. Right, I don't yeah, think it's yeah. writing fucked up doesn't work.
1: Right. No, I mean, yeah, no, I quit drinking in uh I don't know 2006, I guess. Oh, so okay. I have so I'm, you know, so I'm a sober person, uh but, but I'm I'm very interested in I mean I'm also interested in writing like there's a great book that I use in that drug chapter quite a bit by Marcus Boone, um, and he makes the point, which is very interesting, and you probably would cotton too if you're interested in the psychedelics, but that you know, each each, each genre of drug really has created its own literary canon, and that you really can't compare narcotic literature with psychedelic literature with you know, alcohol literature. I mean, they're very, they are very different, and if you get kind of keyed into that, you really do um you know talking about drug literature does become really um kind of silly and i think so that chapter probably focuses most on narcotic literature which i think to my mind has produced some of the more interesting work you know some kinds of literature i mean you know, obviously amphetamines produced a lot of work as well but in terms of like um
0: so in narcotic you mean like heroin mm, pills yeah cocaine
1: no, that would be a, a stimulant.
0: Oh, stimulant. Yeah. So narcotic. Okay. I don't know yeah. my categories as well as I should.
1: Opiates. I mean, I think that it's very, um, I mean, he even has a chapter on anesthetics because anesthetics in the 19th century were like, a, you know, a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I don't know. So I'm, so I'm, I'm interested in all of it. But I'm interested in how people write and how they, um, you know, yeah. Navigate. Yeah. What yeah. about,
0: uh? what about this book? How far are you? Like like, are you getting close to being manuscript?
1: Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, hmm. but you know, it's really it's it's it's. Uh, How
0: long is it? Thirty four pages.
1: It's about I don't know. I've written about three hundred and twenty pages. Okay, so it was kind of long That's for long. me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of it's really bad. So I'm gonna go back and I gotta go back. I, I haven't looked back. I like finish. I've been finishing chapters and just sealing them off on the computer and not looking back. So I've got to. Look, I've to. I haven't yet looked back. And a lot has changed since I started the book. Um. I mean, basically. You know. You know, a day doesn't go by when autocracy is not like the main issue on the news, you know, whereas that was, you know, Trump wasn't even running when I began the project, you know. So, I mean, I don't think that the book is outdated in that way. I think in some ways it actually has to struggle with being less timely because some of the currents that I'm talking about are not this kind of classic current of like, like, basically I'm talking about a lot of kinds of freedom which are not necessarily what we would think of as political freedom. So I think in that way, the conversation right now is very, very heavy in what political freedom looks like and what tyranny looks like and the rise of autocracy, all of which I'm very interested in. Um, But that's kind of more of a shadow subject to some of the issues in the book. You know.
0: Well, I think it's like uh, an exciting thought to have such a good writer and such a good thinker taking apart a concept or a word that we all think we know the meaning of
1: right yeah Yeah. i
0: love that right because yeah. it's like success
1: uh-huh that's another way right, one. <laughs> right yeah, what the yeah, hell yeah.
0: does that mean right you yeah, know yeah. like that's yeah. worthy of a book yeah. and uh or many books and so yeah. i'm very eager uh to see what you come up with
1: thank you and, very much and i'm very yeah. excited
0: to have a chance to sit down with you again i know my listeners are going to be excited to hear from you so i appreciate you making the time
1: thank you my pleasure brad thank you <laughs>
0: Okay, Maggie Nelson right there. What do you think? Her poetry collection is called Something Bright Than Holes. It's available from Soft Skull Press. Just read all of her books. Make yourself a smarter, better person. Maggie Nelson, Something Bright Than Holes. She doesn't have a website, I don't think. She's not on social. You're just going to have to read her books. That's where it is. That's where things are. But really great to see her again and get a chance to pick her brain. She's one of our best. So, if you would like to write to me, if you have something to say about this show, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Don't forget that this show has an app. It's free. It's the Other People app. Get it wherever you get your apps. If you want to support the program, patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Thank you to Kill Rockstars, as always, and the band Stereo Total for the theme song music. Thanks to Cigarette Royalty for the interstitial music. I'm recording this in the morning. Got a day job again Gotta like Try to cram this in somehow Do I sound like It's the morning? I feel like my voice Sounds different at this hour I feel like I have More gravitas or something It's just It's just fatigue Do not be mistaken It's just being up Since uh, before dawn Having like Weird conversations With my wife At like 4.30 in the morning By the light of our phones That's how we roll It's really healthy It's good for you I drank a pot of uh, yerba mate. I also had a uh, matcha latte. I've ingested incredible quantities of caffeinated liquid in an effort to jumpstart my day. I also went for a hike. I get a lot done before 7.30am. It's just how it is, you know, right now, at this stage of life. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Uh, I'll be back again soon, next week, with another writer. I might be back even sooner. I'm thinking I might drop a Sunday episode if I can swing it. But I don't hold me to that. I have a lot of good episodes in the pipeline. I've had some great conversations recently. I know I say that a lot, but it's true. I'm about to share some premium content with you.